This is episode number 70, what heart health actually looks like with cardiologist, Dr. Joel Kahn. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I see many 30-year-olds in my clinic where I run an advanced ultrasound of the carotid arteries. There's no radiation, and I can detect it. scares me. I mean, some of these, you know, it, women, men walk in in their yoga outfits and their green drink in their hand. Man, they've got atherosclerosis already in their 30s. For most of us, it's choices we're making in our teens, our 20s, or 30s. What's up, guys and gals? I'm so happy that you're back this week, and this week is an exciting week. I'm at Interbike this week. That's where it all goes down for sponsorships and getting to see people and just plugging back into the community. And this year, Interbike is in Reno, Nevada, which is the first time in a very long time it's not in Las Vegas. And I've never been to Reno, so it's going to be pretty fun to check it out. How's your riding going? Mine has been hit and miss, but I'm trying to get back into a regular rhythm, which has been hard because I've been traveling every week. However, I've been enjoying the hero dirt. It went from really loose dirt and smoke to fall. It's been rainy and the dirt is nice and tacky and the forest is lit up with beautiful fall colors. I can't decide what I like better. I love spring, summer, and fall, but the colors and the dramatic contrast of the forest just really gets me excited about riding my bike. I also just want to say thanks. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing the show with your friends. I love it whenever you take a screenshot and share it. I get to see it and so does the guest whenever you tag both of us. And it's just a great way to get the word around. If you remember a previous podcast guest, Heather Laptalo, she heard about the show from a friend and then she actually came on the show. So it's such a cool way to meet people and just to share brilliant ideas and stories of inspiring people. And speaking of inspiring people, this week's guest is someone I'm very excited about. He's someone that I follow very closely and someone that I look up to. And his name is Dr. Joel Kahn. Dr. Joel Kahn's a mover and a shaker, and he's known as America's Healthy Heart Doc, a title given to him by Reader's Digest magazine. He's a holistic cardiologist with his own clinic based in Detroit called the Kahn Center for Cardiac Longevity, which he founded because hospitals do not have a high enough standard for taking care of their patients. A lot of hospitals have notably unhealthy food, and food is one of the most powerful medicines that we put into our bodies. He has treated thousands of heart attack patients with diet and lifestyle. He's also written five books and over 100 research papers. He also has opened two restaurants called the Green Space Cafe and one food truck called ATX Food that all serve healthy, whole foods, plant-based meals. And if you're following my Instagram at Plant Powered Tribe, I actually posted a photo of one of the meals that I ate there when I was in Austin. And I didn't even realize at the time that he was the owner of that food truck. So that was really fun to make that connection. He regularly speaks on shows like The Doctors and Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and is often pitted against keto and paleo experts. And in, the, in this episode, when we recorded it, he said that he's also going on the Joe Rogan show. So be on the lookout for that. 
Dr. Khan is inspiring with how he applies his energy to help people find optimal health across his multiple businesses. He's also very active on his Instagram account. The guy has so much energy and he is just always doing something. And it's really cool to see how involved he is and how passionate he is about plant-based lifestyle and heart health. In this episode, we talked about a lot of different topics, including fasting, how to determine what information is credible when it comes to science and nutrition, tips for changing your diet to plant-based, and some really great resources for people, because I always get emails asking, well, where do I start? So he has some amazing resources in this podcast. I just want to give a big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. Patreon's a site where you can donate just a few bucks a month and it really helps with the growth of this show. Your contributions on Patreon have helped me upgrade my equipment and I actually saw someone I was speaking at the Toronto Veg Fest last weekend and one of my podcast listeners came up to me and said that she could really tell a difference with the different audio with the new microphone. So thank you so much for contributing to that, you guys. And if you want to contribute and you're not already doing it, go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show and it's in the show notes. So thank you so much. So let's get into talking about how to have optimal heart health with Dr. Joel Kahn. Hello, Dr. Joel Kahn. Welcome to the show. Fired, fired up to be with you. Thank you, Sonia. I really wanted to have you on the show before, but I was in Austin and I was just riding my bike to the Greenway and I saw this food truck that looked amazing. And then I found out that you are an owner of that food truck. Shameless plug. Yeah, indeed. We, uh, I'm in Detroit, Michigan, as we're talking, my hometown, and I own two plant-based restaurants uh, in Detroit. But a food truck came into our life, and we just made a vote. The weather's better in Austin. We had some incredible partners called ATX Food Co., and they had a spot on Barton Springs Road, which if you live in Austin, you know, that's like the center of all the music life in Austin city limits. So sunshine, music, Texas Lone Star and all the rest. We brought uh, organic plant-based alkaline diets to Austin about six months ago, and it's been wonderful. Yeah, and the great thing that I loved about that is a lot of times when people go out for plant-based food, it's actually not that healthy. It's like processed foods or lots of sauces, and these foods were all just really beautiful with creative ingredients. Like there's even a bowl with lotus root. Yeah, I know that lotus root, but you know that's crazy wonderful and. You know, we've struggled with that. And just if we talk about the restaurant for two more minutes, it's simply easier to fry food, whether it's plant or meat. It's easier to buy processed food, whether it's Beyond Meat burger or possible burger sausages. We don't do that in any of our restaurants. They're handcrafted. They're either non-GMO or completely organic. And, you know, it adds time and cost, but it adds health. It adds purity. And I'm a medical doctor, so it's important to me that we keep shooting for the higher level entry, and there's plenty of competition for bar food uh, all over, at least Detroit, and I think increasingly most cities. Yeah, I wanted to ask you actually about the vegan comfort food and the, the processed foods, because a lot of times that's what people will start transitioning with when they're changing their diet, but is that healthy? Yeah, it probably isn't healthy. I agree with you completely. It's a great transition to go from a beef burger to any other plant burger out there, you can keep on going and end up with a really healthy bean burger, quinoa burger, lentil burger. But a lot of people are finding 
you know, these uh, new burgers out there with pea protein and, you know, just a tremendous amount of oils. And I'm not a fan. You know, the biggest concern, and I always try and find science to answer any question when it's available. But there was a unhealthy plant-based diet index, starting with the letter U, and a healthy plant-based diet index. And actually compared to the standard group, the unhealthy plant-based diet index group had more cardiovascular disease over 20 years than the standard group, and the healthy plant-based diet index had far less. So it isn't good enough if you're in this for health and you're looking 20 years down the road to say, I don't eat animals and I've taken a big leap in my health, right? When it's all you know, frozen, processed, dripping in oils and cheese, you help the animals and you help the environment to some degree, but you may not end up with the health equation you want. So at least some of the time, eat a sweet potato, eat a salad, you know, uh, eat some raw veggies now and then, and, you know, get some unadulterated and unaltered garden foods into your body. So I want to talk about your, your medical career and your journey becoming a cardiologist. When did you change your diet? Yeah, way, way back. Uh, I'm going to be hitting 60 soon. And at age 18, I actually adopted what we called uh, my girlfriend and I the salad bar diet. The girlfriend's been the wife forever. Uh, there, I didn't know the word vegan or vegetarian. We grew up in a traditional family. My mother was an excellent cook. And interestingly, my parents, not long after I started eating from the salad bar, it really was just a reaction to the quality of the food in the dorm. It isn't an emotional story about some great illness that I healed. It was my uh, just preference for the better quality food. And it, it wasn't born from any great nutrition knowledge. It just was a reaction. But my parents went to the Pritikin Center, I think at the time in Santa Monica, California. It's now in uh, Miami Beach. And my mother changed her cooking at home. And I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. But, you know, the uh, meatloaf became lentil loaf. And also I was doing it. She started changing home cooking when I was back for a weekend. And then I was already in medical school. My wife was in nursing school as the girlfriend. And we both kind of figured out pretty early this stuff actually might make a difference. We were not suffering health issues. My wife discovered very quickly that lactose intolerance ran in her family. And as soon as we gave up dairy, there was a quantum leap and just feeling good every day. And honestly, 41, 42 years later, you know, we're prescription drug free. We're about the same weight we weighed when we were in a freshman in college. We have energy galore, which is why she does a thousand things a day and I do a thousand and one. But um, so it's really my and I'm probably one of the rare people can say before med school, during med school, residency, fellowship. And every day I've been a cardiologist. I've been knowledgeable about nutrition to some degree, increasingly more and more and have actually been teaching patients that food truly is medicine, food is information, food is a path to healing. And it's just gotten easier and easier with the internet to have tools to make that simple and efficient to demonstrate to people the potential that they can reverse or stabilize their disease rather than just take a pill to treat it. Yeah, and I mean, whenever you were changing your diet, that, that word vegan or being vegetarian even wasn't a super common thing. Like, did you experience any being ostracized at all for that? It was different. The doctor's dining room in 1990, the year I started cardiology practice, was abominable. And I would be the salad bar guy or maybe there'd be a pasta primavera dish. Everybody else was eating burgers and waffle fries. You know, I stood out different. It was fine. I knew what path I was on and it didn't bother me. I wasn't obnoxious. I, uh, if asked about it, would just explain I, I don't eat animals. 
you know, 28 years later, my peers don't look as young as I look. Don't repeat that too loud. <laughs> some of them have had some very serious health issues, even though they're very dear friends of mine. I mean, you can live to 100 and eat crap. We all know the story in the news. She smoked, she ate bacon, and she's celebrating her 103rd birthday. And it does happen. I mean, it's genes, it's environment, there's an element of luck and all the rest. I mean, for, for real longevity, genes may be an important factor. If your parents are 99, you might be able to screw up a little bit and end up being 99 yourself. But for most of us, you know, it's not a reasonable plan to take that risk if you really want to try and avoid all these chronic diseases. I mean, you know, you're 63 years old, you look like you're 80, you're on seven medicines, everything hurts in your body. And, uh, you know, you're already talking retirement and, you know, God, I mean, I'm almost 60, but at age 63, I think, yeah, I feel like I'm 15. And, you know, it is a path to optimize the chances you're going to have lifelong health. That's called health span by paying very careful attention to diet. Moderation and everything is one of the stupidest teachings anywhere. And, you know, it leads to moderate heart attacks, moderate exercise, moderate strokes, moderate erectile dysfunction, moderate diabetes. We live in a world where nutritional excellence to steal a statement right from Dr. Joel Furman is almost necessary if you're going to try and get through this life without, you know, being pounded down with medicines and uh, health issues. So as a cardiologist, how are you implementing whole food plant-based diets into your patient's treatment? Yeah, two different ways. A lot of people come and see me because they have a very interesting and unique advanced cardiology clinic in Detroit, the Khan Center for Cardiac Longevity. A lot of people come to me and just say, look, I don't have any problem, but my brother had bypass or I heard about Kevin Smith, the movie producer, having a heart attack at age 45 or whatever. Just can you run the test? Can you make sure? And most people in their late 40s, early 50s, they're leading relatively healthy lives, but, you know, not really pristine. We'll have some signs of early atherosclerosis, hardening the arteries. I can demonstrate in their heart arteries. I can demonstrate in their carotid arteries, their lab work. And in my toolbox of, hey, you know, you're doing okay in life, but it looks like your arteries are aging, your body's aging. You know, one of my biggest tools is patient education about nutrition plant whole food nutrition, you know, they're all going to watch Forks Over Knives. Many will watch What the Health. Most will read Dr. Esselstyn or the China study, or, you know, I might tailor the book. Of course, I've got five books out that might read the plant-based solution, my newest book. And it's simple nowadays. I may listen to it on Audible, Kindle, you know, but in, you know, I have a podcast. So there, you know, there's ways that I can direct them. You know, you're starting at ground zero. You need to fill up your information fuel tank. And when we revisit, we can talk about it. So they get homework. I might direct them to a website, uh, you know, Plantrition Project or Juliana Hever, the plant-based dietitian, or something to uh, take a deeper dive of their particular disorder, you know, reversing diabetes with Dr. Neil Barnard information. So they're all going to get that as a baseline. Now, the other half of the group already have obvious disease. They've had a stent. They've had a bypass. They've been told they have 80% blockages and don't want to stent or bypass. And we're going to have to really attack it in a more, you know, rapid way. You know, you really need to start the 21-day kickstart program that PCRM has or the one-week program that Rip Esselstyn has using big bowls of whole foods without oil. And, you know, you really need to jump in quick. And so they're just the resources are so easy nowadays. Now, owning two restaurants, if they're in the area, the first thing I'm going to tell them is come over and have a uh, Esselstyn approved, you know, 
kind of menu item from my restaurant and you'll get a little clue that giving up uh, animal products and uh, oils isn't going to detract from having a delicious meal. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of really great sources of information for people. But what about the people who don't believe that stuff, that they don't think it's credible? Because there's a lot of celebrity doctors who promote misinformation. So how does somebody who might not already think plant-based is the way to go, how do they decide what a good source of information is and who is credible? Yeah, that's an important issue. So I do ask my patients or anybody, I'm very active on social media for an old man. So (laughs) Instagram, of course, is just lots of pretty pictures, but I try and choose them with some message. Dr. Joel Kahn Facebook page is full of medical articles, one or two a day. But I mean, I live on Twitter. Twitter is where angry old men argue. And it's (laughs) interesting because that's where the other celebrity doctors that are sharing misinformation are usually found. And I mean, sometimes my patients say, oh, my God, it's so ugly on Twitter. I say, that is, it's ugly, but it's an important debate, and it is where conversations and debates happen. So those are one vehicle. Two is, you know, I try and refer them to pcrm.org. They have a database of medical studies. I try and refer them to Plantrition Project, which uh, has a database of medical studies. I helped found four and a half years, is going to soon I'll have to say five, four and a half years ago, something called plant-based nutrition support group or pbnsg.org, which is now the largest support group for people eating plant-based in the world. It started with two people, myself and a uh, patient. And uh, we have a great depository of um, articles and videos. So, and, you know, that's why I wrote the book, The Plant-Based Solution, was to synthesize. I actually, despite a fairly sometimes ugly stance I take on some of these social media platforms and blogging, I mean, I actually throw a olive branch out to the paleo movement, the keto movement. Look at what we all share, and this is what the conversation doesn't emphasize very much, is we're all actually talking about you never should be walking into McDonald's, Wendy's, Hardee's, Wahlburgers, you know, um, keep going, Carl's Jr. You know, you really shouldn't be sourcing your food from vending machines and food trucks that are coming to a factory with basically vending machine food. You really shouldn't be buying food in the center of the grocery store that's frozen with 58 ingredients. And it can be plant-based food. More often it's not. You know, a hyper-processed factory-made food is prepared to make you an addict and kill you, just like other addictive substances. So we all share that. And I don't mind them stumbling across a paleo program that talks about lots of leafy greens, berries that are low glycemic and some higher quality, lower in fat animal foods. I don't think it's the diet they should follow, but if that's step one and it gets them to appreciate that food matters at all, because that's actually, you know, one of the biggest impediments, you know, I'm set in my ways. I like what I eat and it doesn't really matter. Or, you know, if somebody isn't willing to change, they aren't willing to change. That's psychological theory of eating, but I'll do anything inch by inch. It's a cinch unless you're a sick heart patient where you really don't have the luxury of exploring this with your toe in the water. You need to dive in. And the people who I know who have changed to paleo or keto diets, I say, well, make sure that you're regularly monitoring your blood pressure and some more of your vitals. And some of them have said, well, I'm healthy. Like my blood pressure is good. I've never felt better. And short term, that might be good. But how can somebody like say somebody's eating a keto diet? How can they monitor themselves long term? Because we both know eventually that's not going to be good. Yeah, there are people that, and some of these are friends of mine, 
that will say, you know, I've been keto for three years. I've been keto for four years. I don't know if they actually mean, I mean, they're eating very low carb diets. They wouldn't grab a piece of bread. They would barely eat fruit other than maybe some dark berries. They would, um, you know, shun legumes, the single food that's most associated with longevity over every other food group, peas, beans, and lentils. And usually it's a variable amount of animal meats and butter and coconut oil and, uh, a lard and such. I mean, it's a crazy long-term diet and you're doing that for three or four years. And as you said, it's not only your blood pressure, which is important, but, you know, get advanced labs and the long-term outcome of following a ketogenic diet, a low carb diet that's supposed to put you into ketosis. You go to the drugstore, buy these little strips, test your urine and you show ketone bodies, a natural body system for crisis, for starvation, for seizure disorder and the rest that people are, are jacking and using as a day-to-day kind of life enhancement. In nine studies now, as of last week, nine studies, they're associated with shortened lifespan, early death. And that is just not the black box that people are finding on their coconut oil and their uh, steak package because, you know, it's buyer beware. You do what you want, but it's very much the science. And this involves over a million patients in these studies. These are gigantic studies that associate a low-carb diet with early death. That's a pretty bad consequence to pay for, you know, fitting in your skinny jeans and all. <laughs> so, you know, it is it is important. I was listening, and I don't know exactly when we'll put this out, but I will be engaging in a conversation on a podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience, which is the number one podcast in the world, maybe one or number two. And it's a discussion of plant versus paleo with Chris Crusher, a paleo-oriented healer out of San Francisco. And he's very strong in the topic. Cholesterol doesn't matter. Dietary cholesterol doesn't matter. Saturated fat doesn't matter. They don't affect your heart health. But he was speaking on a podcast I listened to this morning that when he goes on the ketogenic diet, his cholesterol doubles and it makes him worried and he doesn't want to stay that way. So after about a week or two, he goes off the ketogenic diet. Plus, he doesn't feel good on it. and He doesn't exercise as well on it. And he's so I think he's using the ketogenic diet now and then for uh, his patients short term, but it's double talk. I mean, if dietary cholesterol and saturated fat don't matter because if they raise your cholesterol, it doesn't matter. But when his cholesterol goes high, he gets nervous. I mean, join the club, baby. You know, uh, you're better off long term. Nobody has a cholesterol of zero. You absolutely need cholesterol in your blood to support cell membranes and vitamins and hormones and the rest. But you also don't need a cholesterol 280 like some of these guys celebrate on the uh, internet as a uh, how wonderful, including a few cardiologists that celebrate that their cholesterol is in the high 200s and this is supporting their testosterone level. It's it's the opposite of science. It's very confusing to the public. It's very dangerous to uh, mimic it, I agree. There is, I'll just say, there is, because uh, your listeners may not know this, there's a scientist, not a blogger, not an internet uh, voice. There's a scientist at the University of Southern California, Italian-born, spends half the year in Milan, half the year in Los Angeles, named Walter Longo, V-A-L-T-E-R, Longo, L-O-N-G-O, Ph.D. He's been nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. He'll probably win it one of these days. Brilliant, authentic, hardcore biochemistry science on nutrition and aging and cell health from animals to humans. But he has a program. It's called the Fasting Mimicking Diet that amazingly is commercially available from the University of Southern California. It's five days of plant-based foods. Ding, 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 ding. Didn't put any meat in there. Plant-based foods at 800 calories a day, so that's why it's fasting mimicking. It creates a response from the body as if you didn't eat for five days, but you're actually eating enough breakfast, lunch, dinner. They're all in the box. It's not 
Nutrisystem Marie Osmond food. It's real food, olives and nuts. Very low in sugar, essentially no added sugar. Very low in protein. High in whole food complex fats and carbohydrates like olives and nuts. And it activates some amazing responses in the body with loss of fat around the belly, loss of inflammation, loss of blood sugar, loss of blood pressure, loss of cholesterol. It causes stem cells to come out. So it is actually right now the purest ketogenic play because it does make you ketogenic. It's only five days and then you do it again the next month if you want to or you do it in three months. It's incorporating the hottest science in fasting, but it's all packaged together. And the fact that it's plant-based is just such a wonderful testimonial that the best science for enhancing health and lifespan comes from, you know, the garden. Just we're using science to manipulate it a bit in this uh, fasting mimicking diet product called Prolon. So very cool stuff. It's saying I use it's sometimes what I introduce people to plant based nutrition with. Look at just do this for five days. You'll probably be seven pounds lighter. You will now understand plant-based nutrition, the role of fasting and enhancing health if you study the science. And then let's reconvene and I'll lay out a plan for you to keep going in a way that isn't so restrictive, but is also plant-based. I love it. Um, I have a question for you about being on Joe Rogan's show and you, you've also been on The Doctors where you're kind of the, the plant-based guy that they put in the mix with these other guys who are about keto and paleo. So when having these discussions, how do you stay level-headed? How do you actually listen and take in what they're saying without immediately turning it off and rejecting it so that you can have a calm conversation? Yeah, and that's true. And uh, I mean, I embrace that role recognizing, I mean, we got Michael Greggers in the world and we got Dr. Neil Bernard's in the world. And when I'm honored to step in the limelight, it's a pretty stressful spot. Not so much on the doctor show for seven minutes, although they do strive for scientific authenticity. I mean, it's going to be three hours plus with Rogan. Right. And, you know, that's a lot of time to cover a lot of data. So the onus is on me. And I mean, I am totally as much as possible a science-based guy. I realize when I eat a whole food plant-based diet, I'm helping the environment. And I realize I'm avoiding animal suffering and promoting ahimsa. But I'm on there because I'm a medical doctor and we're talking the science of inflammation and atherosclerosis and brain health and vitamin levels and vitamin deficiencies and protein. You know, I'm going to be very peaceful. I'm going to strive very hard to be peaceful. I will not gain an inch if I piss everybody off. I do have a sense of humor that I hope to uh, utilize. Some of it vulgar. I can go Rogan with Rogan and I think I will because it's fun to do that. It's clearly his thing. But um, it's got to be the science. And so I look for commonality. I mean, Chris Kresser, the paleo author and advocate, I mean, he doesn't drink Coca-Cola and he isn't eating from vending machines and he isn't taking his 10-year-old daughter to McDonald's and he's eating an elitist pure diet. I teach an elitist pure diet. I mean, it's elitist unless you have a garden or a farmer's market. You know, it doesn't have to be expensive. It's kind of funny. It's around the Labor Day weekend. There were a lot of postings. The economy's good, so people have money to go out and buy steak. Everybody says plant-based diet's so expensive. The headline would seem to suggest that people have to spend more money than usual to buy a big old steak. And uh, kind of uh, struck me as an anachronism or an, an irony that uh, it didn't quite fit with the idea that animal food diets are necessarily uh, more favorable for people on a tight budget. I don't think that's true at all. But so, I mean, I'm looking for the commonality, but where can't you back down? I mean, is there any data that any diet other than plant-based diet can halt and reverse heart disease? No. So we 
can't back down on that. Is there any sizable database that you can halt and reverse type 2 diabetes with high frequency other than a no added oil plant-based diet? No, there's little shreds in the paleo movement of short term. I mean, you know, any diet that you limit your calories and stop eating processed crap food, you might improve your blood sugar control and short-term paleo has some studies that'll do that. Um, Prostate cancer. Is there any data for any medical treatment using diet other than whole food plant-based Dr. Ornish program that you might modify prostate cancer progression? No, it's the only one. And, you know, telomeres, these components of our chromosomes that may predict our lifespan that Dr. Ornish's whole food plant-based lifestyle program have shown to actually activate an enzyme and extend our telomeres, which should correlate with better lifespan. Is there any other diet that's been shown to do that? No. You know, so you got to you gotta dig your heels in to where we own the territory. You know, and then, you know, everybody wants to throw out every epidemiology study. We got 500,000 people and there was a correlation between increased processed red meat and colon cancer. Well, they'll argue that's correlation does not equal causation. Well, if it's study after study after study, and when the World Health Organization takes 800 research studies, puts them all together and says, we don't think processed red meat is correlated with colorectal cancer. We think it actually causes colorectal cancer, announces that to the world, does future studies that says not only did we find that in 2015, now there's more data in 2016, 2017, 2018. I mean, that data, you know, and I'm pretty clear that Chris Kresser doesn't eat, uh, you know, average grocery store bacon. I imagine that's a true statement. He might eat uncured meat with some idea that that's better, which, you know, these are untested thoughts that grass-fed is better or free-range is better or uncured bacon's better. But so I'll dig the line in the sand. You know, we can go that if your listener gives up processed food, fast food, vending machine food, we all know they improve the health. But if you start telling me you're instructing them with heart disease to eat animal products, Let's just stop right there because now you're here in fantasy world. Yeah, I think one of the issues for people my age, like I'm in my 30s, is that we're like, well, we're fine. We're not sick yet. But heart disease and cancers start way before they're detectable, way before you know them, that they're there. So how do we inspire change in people who aren't visibly sick yet, but to get them thinking long term about these things? Yeah, you know, you don't want to be Debbie Downer. You don't want to scare people. But there are, you know, well-respected research studies from southern states, Mississippi, Louisiana, and such, where they take teenagers and they actually test for early atherosclerosis using ultrasound. And large numbers of teenagers living in the southern diet belt of fried food and meat foods and cheeses and gravies already have detectable, not just not just autopsy proven, but detectable on an ultrasound problem with their arteries. I see many 30-year-olds in my clinic where I run a advanced ultrasound of the carotid arteries. There's no radiation, and I can detect it. scares me. I mean, some of these, you know, it, women, men walk in in their yoga outfits and their green drink in their hand, and they've got atherosclerosis already in their 30s. Now, you know, there may be other aspects of their lifestyle. There may be genetic. I have to figure all that out. But yeah, it's not uncommon. This is not an it is not inevitable. It's not you know built in our genes that at age thirty we'll have atherosclerosis in our arteries. For most of us, there are a few genetic exceptions to that. For most of us, it's choices we're making in our teens, our twenties, or thirties. What's the message? You know, Ben Franklin: an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and it's never too early. I mean, I happened to be lucky and fell into a healthy lifestyle in my late teens, and I know for sure forty-two years later. It's made an enormous impact on my health. 
not everybody has the opportunity because they're listening to this right now and they're 60. But, you know, Dr. Ornish's data and others show within four weeks, three months, 12 months, depending what you're measuring, adopting this diet can dramatically change the healthy arteries, the activity of a variety of pro-cancer, anti-cancer hormones and growth factors in your body. It actually can change the activity of your DNA. Uh, one of the most incredible statements, it goes back also to discussing paleo or plant-based, is that within three months of adopting a whole food plant-based diet, the activity of your genes that affect your propensity to cancer and heart disease dramatically change. These are very sophisticated studies that have been done, but the outcome and the data is remarkable. So, you know, we know that smokers who quit smoking, I think the day is about 12 years later, return to the average risk of lung cancer. And we know that, you know, people that change their diet, they're not necessarily ever going to be completely free of cancer, heart disease risk, but they will fundamentally improve the chances of uh, having disease or medication or surgery and the rest within three months. So, you know, if we can get that message, we need the good role models. I hate to bring up Miley Cyrus. I'm trying to think of some young people that, you know, have made their diet an issue. She's one that comes to mind. And uh, I'm sure I could come up with some others, you know, that are 25 and under and making this kind of a platform, but uh, more power to them. Yeah, then the angry old men on Twitter can argue about Miley Cyrus. <laughs> exactly, but she's my hero. Leave my Miley alone. So I wanted to ask you about chronic inflammation in athletes because we know that eating a whole foods plant-based diet is the best anti-inflammatory diet that you can eat. But as athletes, you're especially I'm an endurance athlete and so are most of my listeners. So we're constantly going out for one to four plus hours on a daily basis exercising. Yeah. It's a great question, great topic. You know, the Debbie Downer side of it is, just in case your listeners don't know, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's probably been several dozen research studies that, for example, one of which was done at the hospital I practice in in Royal Oak, Michigan, outside Detroit. If you finish the Detroit Free Press International Marathon and we're there to draw a sample of your blood and you're willing to come in and get actually a MRI of your heart, which is the fanciest way to look at the heart as a research study, you will detect in the first 24 or 40 hours the leak of enzymes in your blood that we normally diagnose heart attacks with, but they've been released in your blood from a full marathon and probably more so from a full triathlon. Your heart will look different at the end of a marathon on an MRI. Your heart will look dilated, maybe weak. Fortunately, if you repeat those studies a week later, everything's gone back to normal and young, healthy runners and the rest. But the question is, if that happens over and over and over and over, can there be chronic changes? And a small number of runners do develop detectable scarring in their heart muscle. Again, on an MRI, you can see that. The risk of irregular heartbeat called atrial fibrillation may be five times higher, 10 times higher, presumably because of scarring in the heart. Multiple, multiple, multiple long-distance episodes. And there are some runners that have stopped doing distances. Anybody wants to watch a really compelling TEDx talk, a cardiologist that I trained with years ago, but good friend, James O'Keefe, go look at that TEDx talk. It's about why he stopped running. And he was the champion long distance runner in the state of Kansas in his forties. He doesn't reveal on it why he stopped. He's very knowledgeable in the literature and presents it. There is something called a U-shaped curve. If you don't exercise at all, your risk of cardiovascular disease is high. If you exercise regularly in a moderate range, your risk goes dramatically down. And if you overdo it, it may actually start to creep back up. 
So it's not to say don't engage in activity. It's not to say don't engage in endurance activity. But you're absolutely right that a untested antidote is most of those runners, like James Fix in the book of running, or not most of them, but many of them might have the attitude, I am so athletic, I can eat what I want, you know, YOLO, whatever. It's, um, it may be most important to assist the recovery and the inflammation with the most potent anti-inflammatory program we have out there, which is a whole food plant-based diet, colorful, uh, rich in garlic, rich in onions, rich in ginger, rich in turmeric, rosemary, uh, marjoram, cloves. These are some of the most amazing anti-inflammatory foods around. Adequate omega-3 through chia, through flax, through hemp, walnuts, and just pound that stuff down. You know, and maybe you'll join the group of super athletes that say they actually the recovery is much quicker. They're Delayed onset muscle soreness is much less. Blueberries are great for delayed onset muscle soreness. Pomegranates and cherries, maybe. Uh, infrared sauna is good. That's not a plant, but it's good therapy anyways. So, uh, you know, incorporate all that. You know, look at Scott Jurek, who ran the Appalachian Trail, and Michael Ornstein, who does a fruit diet, or Rich Roll, of course, uh, and his whole food plant-based diet. You know, many others, and I'm leaving out Brendan Brazier and others. Yeah, you know... How can you tell, though, if you're causing that damage? Like an example would be my mountain bike races are six to seven days long. Um, and they're yeah, and they're, they're like two to eight hours a day, depending on the race. And what happens over the course of these races is your heart rate won't go up anymore. Like you might be racing at 170, 175 heart rate. And then by the end of the week, you're struggling to get your heart rate up above 140. And this also happens in training blocks that people do. So what do you know what's actually happening there? And if this is damaging wow. to the heart? That's really, really interesting. And nobody's done the kind of studies I mentioned with that kind of week-long super athletic event. It'd you know, be pretty hard to mount that kind of research <laughs> program. But, you know, one, you, you, know, you probably are depleting some nutrients now. I've explored and tried to lecture on the topic. Are there any, they're called ergogenic aids. Is there anything that absolutely would blunt that? And, you know, the one that comes to mind for me is coenzyme Q10, a natural antioxidant and energy producing substance that we make in our body, but can be bought in any vitamin shop and drugstore in the world, untested. And there is no clear cut data that CoQ10 uh, enhances athletic performance, but that could be a antioxidant muscle supplement that is depleted after a week of activity. Um, you know, uh, the peak heart rate is a pretty serious marker of health. Higher heart rates within reason are better. You have a nervous system of your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system that are responsible for controlling your heart rate. You wonder if you're you know, so athletic that you're actually altering your parasympathetic, sympathetic heart rate variability, sort of I'm thinking about, you know, like adrenal fatigue, adrenal stress, kind of a woo-woo topic, but probably real why a lot of athletes use cordyceps and ashwagandha, shizandra berry, and some of these natural adaptogenic herbs. So if you're not using those, recognizing there's no science, there's just some testimonial, you know, you might do some of that stuff. None of that stuff, I believe, violates the cologne rules or, you know, any Olympic rules for uh, enhancing and you know, blood doping and all. But, you know, I, I, you're exhausting something, either your myocardial energetic stores or your adrenal capacity to respond to stress. Are you doing yourself harm? I'd be guessing. I don't know. You know, once in a while, you might want to get an electrocardiogram from your primary care doc. You know, more advanced is an echocardiogram or an MRI, but those have to have a reason to be submitted to insurance. They're not, you know, a routine thing. 
Have you had any pushback from the medical community by using a lifestyle change for people? Yeah, it's very um, unprofitable. You know, I'm a member of many hospital staffs in Detroit. It's not profitable to actually do what we should do. You know, if it were profitable, I mean, if it, were, if, if it was so obvious, there wouldn't be hot dogs and bacon and poor quality beef burgers and Starbucks serving frappuccinos. And, you know, my main hospital, Beaumont, has the famous Beaumont carrot cake in the lobby, which has probably got more butter than, uh, you know, uh, grandma's waffles. I don't know. So, you know, the profit margin is built in catheterization labs and surgical suites and other care. And they don't know what to do to substitute if they were to actually teach this. And yes, there's pushback. I'm not at all loved by my hospital administrators for every day of my life speaking out against the uh, abysmal nature of hospital food. The one example you have as a health center to teach the public that food is medicine and that they can impact their outcome and recovery and survival and disease burden through food would be to serve them healthy food with educational material attached or like the amazing Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx in New York, where Dr. Robert Osfeld, a fellow cardiologist, has a channel that plays forks over knives 24-7 as a loop in the emergency room in every room. I mean, that's a breakthrough that somebody might actually watch a day before bypass and see a movie that tells them that there's a, you know, the potential to, um, you know, treat their disease with plants. It's risky for a hospital. Because what if you see that and actually say, why the heck am I signed up for bypass tomorrow? Here's a movie teaching me I could eat different. So hospitals are very close-minded and very re retrogressive about this. And it has to stop. It's an amazing embarrassment on their mission to help the, their communities. So I'm very vocal about it. It's I've only so far resisted, like, uh, handcuffing myself to the fence of the hospital <laughs> until until the camera crews come with a sign that says, you know, ban bacon or something. I mean, literally, October 25th, 2015, the World Health Organization announces bacon causes cancer. And I can walk to 9 South where they treat cancer patients at Beaumont Hospital, and I can see oncology patients being served bacon. If that's not a reflection of, you know, screwed up priorities, if not actually, you know, harmful practices, I don't know what else you need to point to. Yeah, that's still completely unbelievable to me that that happens. <laughs> yeah. So there is pushback. You know, I'm in a clinic. I do see patients. I have a very active practice, but I'm totally free of the hospital. I don't take a dollar from the hospital. I don't need the hospital. I rarely admit patients to the hospital because they're healthy. And I've developed a position where I am and not at risk to speak out. Majority of doctors now are employed by hospitals in one way or another. And it just isn't a safe thing for them to do to be vocal advocates. So got to be, I don't have to be cautious. I uh, scream it from the top of every, you know, pedestal I can that it's abysmal. Yeah. And like, I want to ask you about just being an entrepreneur because you have your own clinic, you've written multiple books, you speak, you go on podcasts, you mentioned your own podcast, um, you own restaurants, like they don't teach you that in medical school. <laughs> so how is this becoming an entrepreneur over time played into your, just your life and your growth as a person? Yeah, entrepreneur, as defined by Merriam-Webster, is he who can go broke. Um, <laughs> because, I, I, you know, it was much more comfortable to be in a large medical practice. Other people were administrators. Other people took care of billing. I had the luxury of just being a doctor. But the risk element and the growth element was very, very small. You always could be subject to criticism. I couldn't speak out against hospitals in that group 
because it risked my partner's reputation, even if I was willing to put my reputation out there in the line. So I've taken risks. And when I left standard practice to open a plant-based preventive cardiology clinic, I didn't know if it was going to work, but thank goodness, three years later, it's very busy. I see people from all over the world. Restaurants are as tough a business as everybody said. It was a project with my son and my wife. And it was passion and it was, you know, but at the end of the line, if you're losing money every month, it's not going to be a long-term project. Thank goodness. But open three years with one of them and six months for another. And the food truck you were at about six months and we worked very hard to make sure we're a penny richer, not a penny poorer at the end of a month. And, you know, it's not much more than a penny, but it's enough to do what we do and keep it going because it's making a huge impact on the community. So with all that said, you know, is there's a thrill and there's a freedom and there's the potential to develop a big business project as an entrepreneur, but you'll work harder, you'll take more risk, you know, you'll lose more sleep. But, you know, for many people, it's just their lifeblood, it's just their nature and found out it is indeed mine. And how do you not get burnt out? Because you're doing all of these things all the time. So how do you manage your time so that you're not working 24-7? Yeah, and I'm pretty close to that, but I don't get burned out. I have a real mindful sense. I'm grateful for my health and grateful for my family and grateful for the opportunity to make a difference. I mean this sincerely. It's part of my daily ritual, first thing I do every morning. I spend usually 20 minutes a day in an infrared sauna. I turn all electronics off. It's my man cave. I call it saunatation. I'm saunating, I'm meditating, I'm getting rid of toxins. It's like the perfect place to hide. I mean, a really good diet, a daily exercise practice, not as long as yours. It changes every day. It goes from yoga to boxing to running to kayaking. None of it very long, but there's something every day. Uh, a little music. I love music. I, lo I did kundalini yoga for a year and just fell in love with the music of kundalini and kirtan. And I kept that longer than I kept kundalini. And it just brings me peace. And it's a, really a thirst for knowledge. I mean, I'm, I'm more excited and energized with a hunger to learn and a hunger to be involved. And, you know, when I was seeing just one patient at a time, it was a very, very noble and wonderful thing to do. But the opportunity to speak to a large crowd, to have an impact, you know, on the Rogan experience, I don't think many people are going to stop eating meat at the end of three hours. I hope they say not all vegans are weenies, not all vegans are assholes. I hope I can keep my asshole streak under control. <laughs> I also hope they understand that heart attacks are a risk, that they can, you know, my core medical background is cardiology, that they can be checked. They may be doing harm. They shouldn't guess. I live by a hashtag test, not guess, find out. And that includes Joe Rogan. I mean, that um, we're in an era where you don't have to practice medicine blindly. You really should, just what you said in terms of your long distance athleticism, there are ways, you know, know your high sensitivity C-reactive protein and have an electrocardiogram. There's more advanced ways to uh, get to the issue where are you suffering atherosclerosis decades before you're going to have an event. So I hope I can actually teach that audience that whether you like me or not, I mean, seriously, let's get real. Your risk of erectile dysfunction, stroke and heart attack are very high because they are high in America and your diet is not favoring your health in that regard, go get checked. So, I mean, all these, there's so many millions of people to reach. I can only hope and pray, you know, that the number keeps growing, but it's going to take a big leap this month with an appearance on the Dr. Oz show. And Larry King reached out to me to do a special. And I'm just humbled that, uh, I, you know, I get a platform because I, I do have the information. And I'm so thankful that you came on my show whenever you have all those other amazing people where you get to go on their show. So thanks so much. 
You got it. Keep running. Don't, uh, you know, clearly I just want to end up with that. People, I mean, the Cooper Clinic, uh, an amazing place in Dallas, Texas, that's been accumulating fitness data for decades. You know, long-distance runners live longer than couch potatoes. There's no doubt about it. And don't fear. As you get into your 40s for a guy, maybe late 40s, early 50s for a woman, perimenopausal, you might step back and say, you know, is there some place I can go seek out a little more testing and just uh, evaluate it? But don't stop. You know, uh, eat as clean a diet as you can, and uh, you're setting a good example, God knows. But, you know, I, that heart rate 140 thing is interesting. And, you know, if you're allowed to taking 300 milligrams of coenzyme Q10 for the week and see if it makes a difference is an interesting thought. Taking cordyceps, ashwagandha, theanine, shizandra, these adaptogens during the week, like many athletes do. And athletes talk about loving cordyceps as a adrenal support that's totally natural, mushroom-based. So, you know, those are interesting thoughts. I'd love to hear back if any of that made a difference. Yeah, I actually just started trying ashwagandha and cordyceps in the last couple of cool. months. Yeah, cool. it's been pretty cool. Good. Well, thanks so much All for right. coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we get to meet in person someday because you're a super inspiring guy. And I just am really thankful for you and for all the work you're doing. That was amazing. Wow, I could talk to him for hours and hours and hopefully I'll have the opportunity to do that sometime and meet him in person. If you got something out of the show, take a screenshot and write down what your favorite tips were or what you learned in the show and share it with everybody. I also want to invite you guys to my free Facebook group called the Plant Power Tribe. We have over 1,200 members and it's growing. There's people joining every single day. And it's a community page where people just post about healthy lifestyle. Some of them are posting about nutrition, but I've seen other people post about having a healthy relationship with your cell phone, with meditation, with lots of other things that just keep us holistically healthy. It's so helpful to be surrounded with people who you can bounce ideas off of and who support us in our journey to be better. I also mentioned the Plant Power Tribe Instagram account, and that is something I've recently started and it's been growing quickly. I've been posting more daily things on there, whereas with the Plant Power Tribe Facebook, I let other people post most of the time, so it's not all about me. So if you wanna check out the food I'm eating on a daily basis and cooking videos and recipes, also make sure to go to Instagram and check out Plant Power Tribe. That's it for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.